0: Hello, good evening. I'd like to continue on the topic of the future of education, in particular architecture education, and the role, or the changing role of universities in this session. I talked earlier, quoting from Mr Tan Eng Chai, the President of the National University of Singapore, in which how the pandemic had um, force us to think about the role universities play, and the need for talented individuals, architect uh, architecture graduates, to have the breadth and depth of knowledge and skills, and to be able to compete um, in the so-called uncertain times ahead and um, this changing roles of the universities um, I highlighted the merging of School of Architecture into engineering faculties but that's just could be a technical thing regarding the economics of how to run universities where you make the four big faculties that had absorbed all the other programs and faculties to be each one autonomous in running um, in running their programs and in running the faculties. And I talked about the academic universe where the academic is the sun and the planets consisting of collaborators and... Postgraduate students and researchers revolving around the sun or the academic sun. That is an illustration that's very clear when there is this changing um, role of a university, where the university the service provider for education or higher uh, higher education um would have to run like a business and where the f- for public universities the f- the fin- financial aspects will be reduced significantly in view of the future and the pandemic shows it and the fact that the President of the NUS mentioned about it, clearly shows the need to think out of the box and to solve this problem. And at the first instance, the model that is being given by the American universities seems the likable or the solution to the problem that universities are facing economically or financially. So what happens is that the um, the effect on the academics is I've mentioned earlier and then then the um, future graduates and their parents would like to invest in education for these future graduates and they would be more discerning with how they would be skilled after the years that they'll be learning under the the university. Um, The experience, the learning experience that they will um, encounter while they are... They pay. They pay... um, for these courses that they're going to experience, yeah. And so we as an academic, we we design these courses. We we train them. We we make them able to be that talented individuals that Mr. Tan mentioned, who are able to have the breadth and depth of knowledge and skills. Then I talked about earlier about um Um, I talked earlier about what do you call them Um, sorry I talked about um, them being um, that the relevance of universities itself um, do we need to have universities for that but because of the credentialing the credentials and the paper chase, you know, that you're graduate from, you know, that piece of paper that says you're graduate, is what it is. But now people are thinking beyond it, just a piece of paper, because there's no guarantee about this anymore. What I like to talk about today is now is what does a particular university offer them in terms of this learning experience. I'd like to take us back to the 1980s in London. Um, I had the opportunity to, to work in London after my first degree in Leicester and I decided, well, I had the opportunity to work in an office that is right beside the AA school of architecture. And at that time, the evening lectures, like Tom Main, um Herman Hesberger, Zaha Hadid, all those, well, you 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 call you call them star architects, but they were emerging architects at that time in the eighties, and they were tutors. They were studio. They were conducting studios at the AA, and and there was all these exhibitions, and I kept on going there every as many times that I can, and there was a RIBA evening lectures as well, and at that time I was doing I was practicing in a company um, as a part one graduate, and that was. The best time that I had working and learning. You can imagine that such um, lectures available now. This is the 80s where you don't have the internet yet, yeah? So now you can imagine I can access all this. If I'm clear about what I want, the knowledge that what I need to seek and I've got a bit of guidance or mentorship and I get a bit of um, yeah, direction on how to go about it and trying to be as what Mr. Tan said with the breadth and depth of knowledge and skills then why do I need a school of architecture? Why do I need a university at all when I can learn it online? So just now in the first part earlier i talk about the need the necessity to go for site visits and so on yeah and and when we talk about the learning environment we talk about the social interaction we also know that peer learning is important learning from your friends in the studio or people who are in the same batch as you, seeing what they're working on, discussing about things, not only your tutors, that can happen in the future, more interactively, even online. We do that. We do that with the um, those social media platforms, Telegram or WhatsApp or facebook or anything and instagram we we take note of what other people are doing if they have um they publish what they're doing or in you know Insta- instagram stories what's happening to you you can meet them when you need to your peers in cafes or in the studio there are so many choices of social interaction, uh, in the um, learning interaction, as you can say that. And you just need guidance, really. You just need, you have a program, certain timeline to finish your project and the urgency to finish it on time. And that's what courses are that you pay for. And then you get your certification, but what if you, like I say, going back into this time when I was, um, I was, um, what do you call it, um, practicing architecture and also I was learning. That was a very good example of me getting a lot of knowledge and understanding because I know that I like certain things certain philosophy, or I like to follow certain architects, and I had that investigative mind. I I love theory. I love discussion. If only we could um, set this up for um, students of architecture or students in general, university students, to love these things even before they go to the university and that was the um some of the discussion we had regarding what is the university in uh, um earlier and um where reading um well for example this the secondary schools in in France they 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 have a lot of reading to be done in terms of the classics or some, some sort of literature, exposing them to a lot of philosophical um, understanding. And this philosophical understanding is, is asking questions about the world and asking the right questions and, and the the inquisitiveness, that nature, that curious nature that one has to have would would bode well for the basis of being the thinking the thinking architect to be even before you step into architecture school and isn't that a good thing that you could know what you want earlier? you sort of understand from reading the love of books, the love of finding out the love of knowledge that that make you know intuitively where you want to go, and meeting mentors or meeting people who who make sense, who could give a debate, who could give some lead you to better questions or the right questions further. So, why do we need universities if we could prepare? secondary school students to ask questions obviously it has to do with credentials and if you have this piece of paper that says you have a degree in architecture then you will accord um, you have the right to get a pay of a certain amount of money and work in my company is it really like that? or is it the attitude because we keep in We keep getting uh, feedback from the industry that um, the attitude is number one, the attitude to wanting to learn, to want, or the attitude to being able to do the job, Um, the attitude of not being afraid to ask, the attitude of um, wanting to do the right thing, hardworking. You know, can we change? our way of thinking as a society to, to look at at universities so universities would need to be much more available accessible and universities have to be like that because we can see, we, we notice that there are a lot of open uh, available courses online that if you want to follow and you can, sometimes it can be a bit difficult. I tried to to follow some of them and, and uh, I have to take time to actually read and follow them. But sometimes you, you don't really want to follow them. You just want to read at your own pace. So this idea of, after secondary school, you get the basic education, a thoroughly broad and realistic education and discipline to go into working, being apprenticeship with a master and then learning and get, getting points, getting to be more skilled. And another another master, when, when I talk about master, I'm talking about the employer and another employer would take you in because you're much more skilled later on. We always... Talk about when the architecture graduate mature. The idea of the architecture graduate in the sense to mature and do their own work at the age of 40. That was what we discussed. Immediately, at the age of 27 or 25, when you graduate from Master of Architecture Part 2, you still need to learn. It's just a confidence of coming out of that uh, that uh, final year, that confidence of wanting to challenge yourself, that is, that is the important thing to see whether, you know, uh, to test yourselves. Of course, at that time, you have other things in mind, like settling down and having a family. It's quite common at that age. And... What is interesting is this way we package things like you got to finish in 5 years and then you can you know the world is an your oyster and you can you know do what you need to do there is this preconceived ideas of, of what happens after a certain age that you should be doing And where is the end of the road? Is there an end of the road? I think it's ripe for debate, but debate, we can go on and talk forever about this, the best way or the changing role of the university have to suit to the graduate needs. Is it always to do with finances? Is it always to do with economics? If we're interested in nation building and we're interested in this um, this graduates that will meet the challenges of the future what does that really mean? The pace of learning, is it? or the, or, or the So I've always um, been intrigued with this because I prepare the graduates personally so that they can meet the challenges of what is expected after the final year, and um, if I'm teaching in a lower year, I'll try to prepare them what challenges they is expected in in the future and in the immediate future and looking at what resource or what talents they have that they come to the table and we can work on that. And, you know, it's, it's just providing the service of creating the learning environment, really, for different individuals. They have sh- shared programs and they also have the, the, the different individuals that you have to deal with differently, actually, different pace. You can't really categorize them and pigeonhole them as um, poor student or bright student you know if you take for granted the bright student will do will be very independent you're not doing justice as well and if you look at the poor student or sh- he or she shouldn't, shouldn't do architecture that's not right because maybe it takes some time before they really pick up and you know <laughs> be more competitive So, in this second part of discussing about the role the changing role of the universities i can't really I can't really say exactly what it is um, because I'm not an economist, and um I don't have that knowledge of how to actually talk it in terms of the economy and i I don't know how much money they get and what how how they use it. But as an academic, I know that if they want to ran, run autonomously the four faculties in one university, for sure the academic is affected because they have to bring in the finance they have to bring in the grants and run the program and and also run other things and be relevant, and not fall out. And there will be a mechanism on how they will be retained or not. But then in the view of the future of education, the bigger view, will the universities be obsolete? I don't know when that will happen, but is it sooner or later? This really is a cliffhanger, actually. Uh, because. You can feel it. People are scared. If you were just entered the university at the age of 30-something, 20 years ahead, thinking you have a contract and you have to be a permanent staff, is that going to be the same thing now? Or everybody will be a contractual staff? And it'll be a different ball yeah. game, really. And Malaysia, we depend a lot on public public uh, funding and they have to st- to look at the numbers and see that not much is happening here so we gotta we're gonna st- have to go and face this challenge head-on um, so the future of education uh, depending on what subject area that you want to learn does it matter all of the future of education of higher education is going to be the same situation where we are facing us uncertainty as uncertainties and universities are just entities that have been riding and coasting all this while and, and now they're facing with these challenges and the different faculties are facing these challenges, the different professions. We think is iron solid, but now we, th- we think of protecting our corner. But society demand that we interdisciplinary. Society demand that we be much more fluid like Bruce Lee said, be like water. Okay, digress. So, my conclusion for this topic is, i like to make a conclusion and move on. And uh, all I can add to the discussion, really, as an academic is that what the academic has to do and they cannot hide behind other academics now. They have to be on their own and be independent and compete. Um, this ranking, the ranking of universities is going to fall like a pack of cards soon. It's like we're establishing our lives on some idea and notion. Because we had a different situation back then in the 90s you know, when we don't have the university ranking system. So all these notions, they would go away just like technology become obsolete. Um, Facebook is still there for a decade. It's like a conglomerate. It's like a whole country with big economies, billions. And we are sold to it. We are sold to social media. And, but things can change with the blink of an eye and, um, it's all perceptions, isn't it? Psychological perceptions that has made us to think that way. And this is, it's the same with universities. Someone who went to university in Malaysia, in the early 80s at that time there was a need for people who can draw the bread and butter was drawing the drawing skills the ability to detail now you still need to draw to communicate but you take in a lot of other stuff and for some people it's basically just doing animations or, or um, doing graphic design, really, and not really architecture. That's the criticism of some architecture work. Copy. Because at one time, in the 90s, we know a student is copying. It's easier to identify where he copied from. But now, the with um, the internet age, and the ideas it regurgitates again and again. and they become more robotic, rather than focus on the individuals. We have to go back to focus on the individual skills and talents. We have to go back to actually giving the best challenge for the graduate. And that's the right thing to do if you want to meet what Mr. Tan Eng Chai said and how you have to be, he mentioned as well the academic universe. Oh, I mentioned that really, sorry. (laughs) Of being competitive, being relevant, basically trying to, to be challenged. So with that, I thank you for this being with me. This evening, this is Nazia timama Jakob And this concludes part two of the future of education, the changing roles of university. Thank you very much.